0: Welcome to the Golf Podcast Live, brought to you by ECS, Evolve Creative Solutions. I'm your host, Raphael Calamat, alongside Michael Bleakley, as usual. Lots to talk about today. We got top 10 topics. Scotty Scheffler wins the AP Invitational in Orlando, Florida. Of course, this week, the Players' Championship over at TPC Sawgrass, just outside Jacksonville. Ryan Brand wins in Puerto Rico, gets an exemption to play the players championship and a two years exemption pretty incredible we always touch on funny or embarrassing golf stories and of course the LPGA HSBC Jin Young Ko wins again she's really on fire unbelievable Um, 13 wins on the LPGA tour 15 rounds consecutive rounds in the 60s but before we get started we've got a very special guest you may know him from being a longtime host and anchor for the Golf Channel and founder of Can Advisory at canadvisory.com, also host of Tracks to Success on Sirius XM. We've got Mr. Craig Can. Welcome
1: to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you for coming. We're looking forward to this.
1: No, it's been uh, it's been on my calendar for a while. So good we <laughs> could uh, we could actually we could actually connect. I'm going to correct you on one thing. The show on SiriusXM, <clears throat> pardon me, is uh, by the way, big allergy season in Orlando right now. Okay, I want to get that okay. out of the way. Um, <laughs> the show on SiriusXM is connected with Craig Can on Tuesdays at uh, six to eight Eastern. And the tracks to success is on Apple iTunes and all the other podcast platforms that you uh, that you can find. So, just awesome. a little clarification for my friends at SiriusXM. I want to make sure we get their show right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Thanks a lot, Craig, and thanks for for being on the show. It's it's really great. We've had some uh, great Golf Channel guests over the last uh, couple of weeks. We had uh, Matt Adams and Gary Williams, and we're thrilled to have you. So, thanks for making the time. But just so our listeners and our viewers. Uh, get to know you a little bit better. Tell us how you got started with golf and how working at the Golf Channel came to be and moving on towards the LPGA and what you're doing today. So maybe a, a well, close a
1: note- uh, Go it's, ahead. It's a long story, um, but it's, 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 it's mine, you know, and, and I own it. So, uh, you know, I went to, I'm going to go all the way back. Um, I was the kid at, at age seven and eight years old that knew what I, what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. That's all I ever wanted to do. And my parents uh, bought me a tape recorder and a microphone at a young age. And I sat in my room in Chicago in the suburbs and broadcast my own games, Bulls, Blackhawks, White Sox, um, you know, all the Bears. And I I did those (laughs) games in my room uh, by myself. I made up the games um Mengelt to uh chet walker to bob love shoots from the corner bulls beat the sixers 103 100 post game show brought to you by Pepsi Cola. coming at you right after this <laughs> i'm craig can't stay with us now i wasn't that good at seven or eight but um i had a lot of fun with it and uh, my brother you know tried to come in my room and i wouldn't let him in and my friends would come over and they could they could be the color commentator but they couldn't be the guy with the real microphone being the play-by-play guy because that was me trying to be jim durham or whoever else might've been the broadcaster at that time. But I went to a very large high school. I played three sports and I had the opportunity to work on on radio during my high school career. And uh, the long story short of it is, is that I got cut from the basketball team, my freshman and sophomore year. We were a really big school and basketball was the love of, of all my sports. I tried out again my junior year and I made it. And I tried out again my senior year and I made it. And what's interesting about it is, is that Um, When I went to pick up my jersey, um, they said, you can't have that number. And I said, why not? They said, well, there's 15 guys on the team and only 12 get to dress. And I was devastated because I knew at that point I was only gonna travel or dress for a third of the games. Um, I wasn't gonna get to dress all the time. So I went to the radio station where I was working um, on campus at my high school and said, you know, um, I have the ability to do some sports. And they said, how about being the play-by-play guy for the games that you, you know, aren't dressing? And I said, my gosh, I'd love to do that. And they said, well, that's pretty cool. You could start on this game. And I said, let me ask you a quick question. What if I'm not doing any of the games as a player? Could I be the broadcaster for all of the games? And they said, yeah, you definitely could. And so I had some thinking to do. And uh, about two days later, I went and had a conversation with my coach, Ron Nikovich. And I said, coach, I've never quit anything in my life, but I've got this opportunity that dates all the way back to when I was seven and eight years old. And I want to be the broadcaster for our high school basketball games. And I'm quitting the basketball team. And the coach said, I've had a lot of people quit, but nobody's ever quit with a real purpose. And so there I was, I was kind of off on my career. And uh, I did all the games that year, my senior year. I had a little tape. I went to the University of Missouri and I um, there was on KOMU, that school at the time was the only school in the country that owned and operated an affiliate TV station, KOMU, the NBC affiliate. So junior, senior year, you're on television. So I had this amazing opportunity to be able to do that. My first job out of college was Columbus, Georgia. My second one, they had a PGA Tour event down in Callaway Gardens. My second um, job out of college was in Fort Myers, Florida, Naples area. They have a PGA Tour Champions event, as you guys know. And then I went to Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, and Grand Rapids had a PGA Tour Champions event. So I had all this golf that I had on my resume reel. And then I got this phone call from an agent about the golf channel. And that's what happened in 1994 at the end of the year. And um, the rest is a pretty fun story about the interview and and how I got down there and and got the job. So that's kind of where it all started, actually.
0: That's amazing. Well, we'll take us through that through the uh, Uh, That's pretty cool. And yeah, maybe the interview process and how that uh, turned out uh and where you are today and how that kind of vaulted you to be doing what you're doing today
1: well mike Raphael, the the funny thing about the interview was um my agent called and said um there's this new golf channel it started by a guy by the name of arnold palmer i'm perhaps you've heard of him i'm like yeah, of course and another guy named joe gibbs and it wasn't the football coach uh at the time um nor the racing guy and uh they said they're very interested in you and i had already had my tape down there because my agent had sent it. And so I was this, you know, local sportscaster in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and they flew me down first class. Mike Whalen was the executive producer and uh, head of programming for the golf channel in charge of all the new programs and hiring all the talent. Flew me down first class. Now they flew me back coach, which I thought was really interesting and a funny part of the story. (laughs) Now here's the, here's the deal. And I just found this out a couple of weeks ago. Mike Whalen was on my Sirius XM show and uh he said the reason we did that is because we wanted people to know that there were going to be some great times where we were going to you know be living really high at the golf channel but there were going to be some rough moments and you wouldn't exactly be feeling like you were first class as we were ramping it up now i understand that um he gave me 24 hours to make a decision i guess he got hundreds of tapes wow. and uh, saw something in me and wanted me to be a, a PJ tour beat reporter and host of golf central And so uh, they gave me 24 hours to make a decision. I I took that opportunity and I've never looked back. And and the truth of the matter is, I think we both, um, all of us can can sit here now and know I'm not sitting with you if not for my days at the Golf Channel. I don't go to the LPGA if not for having the platform of the Golf Channel. I'm not doing what I'm doing today if not for the Golf Channel. I don't write a book if not for the Golf Channel. I mean, golf effectively changed my life and my career path. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I mean, just talking to guys like you who love the game, we're all in the same family, we all do the same thing. And, and that's the beauty of it. And um, the Golf Channel gave me the opportunity to interview five presidents of the United States, sit down with the First Lady in a one-on-one interview, wow. sit in the locker room at Augusta National in 1997, one-on-one with Tiger when he won the Masters, um, be at the US Open when he won on a broken leg, uh fly in a plane with Arnold Palmer when he opened up a golf course in Conyers, Georgia. I mean, I've got stories that are are, you know, things people would dream of and and it's all because of that opportunity.
2: Amazing. Well, yeah. That um uh, you know, I joke when I have a bad round that golf ruined my life, you know, but really it's it's given <laughs> us so much uh, you know, the characters that come around but um in the golf channel itself like i remember in the 90s when 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 that came on air i was so excited and so um so you're in you've gone through this process which is amazing and and walk us through your first day because you're obviously you're not scared of public speaking you've excelled at it so were you nervous or like what happened when you, you you get there and you're ready to go
1: Well, um, number one, here I was, you know, what, uh, in my 20s, you know, uh, 28, probably 29 at the most 28, probably. And uh, here I was at a network. Now, a lot of people called it cable and they, you know, poked fun at it or whatever. Uh, 24 hours is a lot of programming to fill. There were a lot of really talented people. And I think that was my greatest thrill was being a part of so many other talented people and being able to be around them and kind of soak it all in and learn from them. Uh, people who had better voices than me, better backgrounds potentially than me. Um, but I felt like I was ready if I'm honest. I, I felt like I'd mm-hmm. covered a lot of golf. I felt like I had been on air enough to have an opportunity to do something like that. And um, and I was a hard worker and I, I was you know at a very young age trying to find a way to set myself apart, trying to be something or do something that others might not have uh, that skill set. You know, I mean, I have a firm believer we all have an inner genius. There's something mm-hmm. about us, each of us, that we do well. How do you maximize that? And so when I went in there that day, um, I mean, I admittedly was nervous, uh, but you know, the goal is, is to try to take those nerves and, and make the butterf- butterflies fly in unison. You know, we all get them. Yeah. And, um, and so I just told myself I belong and um i knew how to make packages i knew how to you know go out and interview people and and i knew i had a passion for the game and i just wanted to be a storyteller and a friend you know mm-hmm. it wasn't the golf channel as much as it was golf's channel and we all kind of took that upon ourselves guys like brian hammonds and uh jennifer mills and mike ritz and tom nettles yeah. um dwayne <laughs> ballon people maybe not remember you know him yeah. uh mark lie's been a friend for a long time and um, we could go on down the line. I mean, just you Peter, know, Peter Kessler, Kessler was there. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, um, Scott Van Pelt, I anchored so many shows with him, you know, yeah. b- before he ever lost his hair. Um, <laughs> I remember Tillman, those days. <laughs> what a great talent. So yeah. I could go on and on and on. And, um, and I was just given a lot of opportunities. I was given so many chances to, to host this show and then do that show. And I did a workshop show where they talked to, I was working with a guy named Bob Dodds and we were you know, putting grips on clubs, things I didn't even know about. And then I hosted a show called Viewers Forum. And by the way, 90% of the callers were all Canadian. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And we, I loved, we loved it show. up here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Leaderboard Report, um, you know, College Central, uh, the, the Golf Today yeah. show. When Peter Kessler left, I started hosting Golf Talk Live and I took over Academy Live. Now, that's a way, by the way, to take your handicap, which mine was at a 4.7 at that point, and quickly turn it into a nine. <laughs> because I'm really gullible and anybody comes in and tells me to do something else, whether it's Ledbetter or Harmon or, you know, Rick Smith, you on down the line, McLean, uh, Pels, they all come in with all these great ideas. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll try this. So, look, it was um, it was a gift. I'm blessed. And um, I, I, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, not a day goes by that I don't think and, and call myself fortunate for, for what I've been able to to take part in. Emily.
2: I've yeah, never had a chance to interview uh, Mo Norman. Sorry, rough
1: So I, I've been on a range with Mo Norman. I did not interview him that day. Um, other people did, but, you know, he did a lot of specials and some things that were on golf channel. I'm mm-hmm. very well aware of his ball striking ability and, and the way he carried himself and his love for the game and his passion and the quirkiness and the yeah. enthusiasm yeah. that he had. I mean, he's a legend. He, yeah, he's oh, an absolute absolutely. legend. You know that.
2: Absolutely. He, he um, wasn't that well accepted because he was so different in those times too. And I, I, I always like to think that if he was around in today's era, we're a little more open to uh, unique people. Uh, he might've been, uh, you know, addressed a little bit differently and could have had a different career, but um, yeah, he's definitely a character of the game. And I'm assuming it was the Peter Kessler interview that you were on the range for. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 There's not and, very and many,
1: you know, look, Peter Kessler, You know, I'll just say this, and I know everybody has their opinion and all of that. All I will say, and you didn't even ask me, so I'm just taking it to you. You
2: would like to know. I was going to ask what happened to Peter, so please carry on. I mean,
1: that's not really my story to tell. All I Mm -hmm. will say is this Um, an amazing talent, a huge passion for the game, a guy who had the ultimate chair at the Golf Channel. And sometimes in life, I think people don't realize how good they have it till suddenly they don't have it anymore. And I was told when I was young uh, by my father and my grandfather, no matter what you do, son, grandson, uh, the higher you climb or the more successful you become, the nicer you better treat people along the way or the faster they will want to see you fall and the harder they'll want to see you hit the pavement. And, um, you know, it's a very unfortunate situation because That show had such great potential, and I I firmly believe would still be on the air today. Now, a lot of things have changed at Golf Channel. It's not the same Golf Channel, in my opinion, uh, Mm -hmm. in many ways. But uh, I always saw Peter to be a very hard worker. I got along with him fine. And I've always been the type of person that, unless I have a bad experience with you uh, specifically, then uh, I'm going to call it like I saw it and like I lived it, not how others did.
0: Well, that's some great yep. advice, and I think we'll circle back to the fact of what's happened to Phil Mickelson over the last few months. However, Craig, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of broadcasting and how golf is being presented. You talked about some great people. I remember watching Jim Flick Academies back then, you know, where even yeah. Matt Adams and Gary Williams later on came on, but Brandel Chambly and Rich Lerner um kelly tillman a lot of great names uh you know we're all dropping these names but we remember them very well and for what they did Mm -hmm. so there's been a huge evolution in the game and how it's shown what are the pros and cons in your opinion of what's happened to the golf channel and uh, broadcasting golf in general
1: well let me start by praising some people um because you just mentioned rich Lerner. i left golf channel in 2011 um, I was host of Live From, and Rich took my seat on that show and has fill, filled it, you know, I mean, come on, he you kidding me? He, he's phenomenal at what he does. Yep. He's a friend. We covered the Open Championship together on site in 2006 when uh, Tiger Woods won over at Royal Lytham, and I'll always remember that. And, and Rich and I have done a lot of things together over time. I have an amazing respect for him and his talent and his storytelling ability and the passion that he has for the game. Uh, Steve Sands came on board one of if in my opinion uh, maybe maybe the best interviewer in golf Um, I think he does terrific uh, work there are so many that were on the live tournament team as well you know that don't get talked about as as much as as they should you know Kay Cockrell's still there after many many years Um, you go all the way back Denny Schreiner was the first voice of the golf channel and and I had uh, an amazing opportunity myself uh, for three years to be the voice doing play-by-play. Uh, Gentlemen I'm greatly indebted to, God rest his soul is Don McGuire, former Turner mm-hmm. executive who put Kelly Tillman and I out on the live tournament team in 2001, I believe it was. And, and I didn't really know the reason why at that point, but I was all of a sudden cast into the light of being an on-course reporter. And um, soon after that, I was promoted up into the chair to be play-by-play and I did it for three years. And then they gave me this opportunity to do all the events. Now, at that time, we only had 30, and Keith Herslund was the executive uh, producer of that and wanted one voice. And uh, he and Tony Tortorici brought me in and said, Would you be interested in, in doing all of the tournaments? And I was like, Holy cow, you know, that's a lot on the road. I had twins that were incredibly young, born in 1997, and I had a young uh, daughter uh, born in 2000. And uh, I was like, well, 30 weeks on the road is a lot. What will I do the other times? And they said, you'll you'll be hosting Golf Central on the weekends. And so, you know, you start doing the math and you think about 50 weekends working basically away from your family. And and I just, I couldn't see myself doing it. And uh, I merged myself from that into the studio and uh, started doing the sprint pre and post game show, which you might remember, which then mm-hmm. became Golf Central pregame. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's an evolution along the way. I mean, that, that allowed... Brian Anderson to come work at golf channel and look at him now on TNT and doing all that he does for TBS. I mean, he's amazing at what he does. My point is I could go on and on and add names like Vince Cellini in there, um, as well about the, the the incredible talent. Frank Nabilo is one of my dear friends from time that I've worked together, Mark Rolfing and, um, so many others that came in there, uh, Peter Osterhaus that I worked with that are just amazing parts of the fabric of golf channel. And we weren't just hosts. We became people that fans, you know, would recognize and players would laugh and joke and make fun of us. When we would go to tournaments, people go, would you sign our flag? And they were like, what's Craig Cannon, and Brian (laughs) Hammond's doing here, sign a man. Like we were like half embarrassed, but it was kind of cool. I mean, it just felt, you know, amazing, and and um, and to sit next to people like that, and Tim Rosaford, another yeah. who's recently passed away, and we know how how great he is for the game and was for the game. I'm just honored. You know, I will say this: um, I'm biased, okay, and and this is nothing against the talent that is at the Golf Channel now. Understood. Take nothing away from them. All I'm going to say is is that the talent that was originally hired. And the talent that came in there leading into about 2005, 2010, you bring in Gary Williams and Eric Casilius, who's not in there anymore. But the talent at that time to me was at its highest level. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's ever been duplicated or replicated. And again, there's very talented people there. There always will be working at the Golf Channel is a great thrill. And this isn't to say that I am here and other, I'm not going there. But when they brought Vince Cellini in, who's a great friend of mine, there were people who were nervous. They are like, you know, what's going to happen to me? I said, what do you mean what's going to happen to you? They're bringing in people that are have better resumes than us. Right. Like, we're going to have to step up our game. This is a great thing for us. And it was a signal that the golf channel was growing. Nick Faldo comes on board, Kelly Tillman, and he do the play-by-play. You know, you understand where I'm going with this. So, yeah. uh, Brandel the the talent level was at an, an amazing amazing zenith in that period and i'm just uh, proud to have been a part of that period of the golf channel
2: yeah. do you feel um you know now uh, since golf channel started and you know the last decade or so this cancel culture uh, there's the fear of saying the wrong thing far as where i'm going <laughs> and uh and some people have hung their careers up just for a little bit of a, a, a locker room type comment. And do you think that the announcers out there now are, are, uh, you know, uh, treading water, being too careful with the jokes, like, like Faldo is very funny. Faraday, who I love, Mm -hmm. he's very funny, but they seem to throttle back a little bit with the, the weedy one liners.
1: Well, I know that I would, Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that I do on Sirius XM. I know that I am right now. Yeah. I mean, I kind of have a check. (laughs) of myself before I do any show. I have yeah. my opinions like everybody else before I tweet anything. I read it three times. Yeah. Um. You know, when I go, do I really want this out there? Um, I think it's really important to have that. Uh, people talk about the cancel culture. I don't know. Is that really a terrible thing for us? I mean, I think we've gotten into a situation where, you know, our kids are exposed to so much. So let's have a little bit of a governor on ourselves. Let's Let's try to to, um, you know, rein it in a little bit and and be um, a little bit more, you know, politically correct and be proper and be respectful. And that stuff's Mm -hmm. important, I think, um, more perhaps now than ever before. So are people scared? I hope so. And and probably, yes, they are. Is it over the top that, that we cut people off or let people go or fire people? That's not for me to decide. I mean, no. uh, I've agreed yeah. with some. I've agreed with, uh, disagreed with others, you know, thought some were a bit too harsh in in firings or, or whatever else. Yeah. But you're a moment away. You know, they, they say it takes years to build a reputation and seconds to, to trash it.
2: Right. So, yeah.
1: you know, I'm pretty <laughs> cautious of that. I, I speak around the country now and, and I do media coaching for executives, coaches, athletes. Um, there's no such thing as a, a bad question, but there's a really bad answer. You know, And um, we have to be be thoughtful about what we say. We have Mm -hmm. to have a message. And I'll leave you with this thought. There are a lot of people that talk. You guys have a podcast. I've got a podcast. I've got a radio show. I'm not the only one, neither are you. So all these people that are out there, yap, 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 yap. How many of them really have something worth paying attention to? How many of them really have something Mm -hmm. worth saying? How many of us really have an opinion that will get people to pay attention and make people listen and do something? Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have to be thinking about what our message is and, and then go on the air.
0: Mike and I have had these conversations over and over for the last 25 years or so, since we were first roommates and then ended up playing golf together and getting back into the game in the early nineties. And, you know, we've seen the evolution of the game, but what we find today is that a lot of the golf news is opinionated. It's not based. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of misinformation going around case in point, Phil Mickelson, a lot of things have happened to him over the last few months, with um, with Shipnuck coming out with his book in a very timely manner, releasing a statement that he shared with him. I know Phil hasn't really uh, addressed it in the sense that he hasn't had a press conference like many people or sports athletes have had to make press conferences to cover all the questions that people have about what's happening in the world of of his game and in golf and with Saudi Arabia and so on and so forth. So um, your take on Phil Mickelson and what's happened to him over the last few months. I mean, it really unraveled the last couple of weeks, but with PIP happening and the Saudi League and Greg Norman being involved with the Asian tour, it's really taken a, a, a life of its own. And now mainstream sports media. and it's it's covered by the in the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal things that we yep. I didn't think it yep. was going to explode and I don't think Phil thought it was going to explode to the magnitude it's 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 blown into.
1: Well, the media always gets the last say. Um, most people forget that. You know, I can sit here and say something right now, but at the end of it, you're going to have a reaction or you have the ability to edit it and post it. So, you know, you just talked about the cancel culture and our people worry. Well, you just put me on the spot, right? Um, my, my difference is, is that I probably think about some of these things a little bit more than maybe other people do. So you want my answer. Most people that are listening right now or watching are thinking, oh boy, here we go. We got, we got <laughs> Craig on the hot seat. Let's see what he has to say here wow. and, and see, see where he goes. And here's what I'll say. Uh, a few years ago, three years ago or so, I started feeling like Phil Mickelson was changing the brand that he was putting out there. Um, Suddenly it was about staying relevant. This is my opinion, staying relevant into the age of 50, as opposed to, you know, falling off. He wasn't as competitive. So what could he do to generate interest in him? He could... uh, do his little uh, candlelight chat that he did on social media. He could get into Twitter. He could get into some things that he wasn't necessarily doing. Um, The little dance move that he did, you know, and some of the advertisements and whatnot. Um, He's very good at acting, you know, down in the bunker, yelling up uh, in some of the ads. Um, I think he played to some of his strengths, but also put himself in a bit of a vulnerable situation as well in a decent way. You know, he, he made a likable guy, for a number of years who people followed for all of the great golf that he played, but the style in which he delivered it, um, even more likable because everybody kind of wanted to see what would Phil do next. And he was trying this next and then this next. And then he starts talking about, you know, hitting bombs and, and all of the other things. And it just started to change. And for me personally, it started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Now for him to go out there and win the PGA championship was unbelievable the only other time that i can think of feeling that way are two times number one was ben crenshaw at the masters in 1995 that was the first time the golf channel ever covered the masters and i was there mike ritz and i were the two reporters uh, that were assigned that task i'll always be grateful for that first time the golf channel got to go to the masters the second one obviously is uh the 09 open with uh tom watson and stewart sink and i was hosting live from during that experience mickelson played amazing golf mickelson's always been capable of winning even when he wasn't at his best we knew he had the skills to be able to do that on a given week if the course went his way and he had his game so none of that was surprising but to me phil if you think about it has never been number one in the world and that's shocking given his talents it speaks volumes to the tiger woods era but at the same time, Phil, for his 40-plus victories in the Tiger Woods area, he does not get enough credit for that. Oh, absolutely. For yeah. Tiger Woods to have done what he's done, and I and I firmly hope, you know, and pray that he gets that one more PGA Tour win to own the record outright. I feel like that's his rightful place. He's
0: stayed in the top 50 that, for over 20 years. And th- 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 that, no that no doubt.
1: <laughs> no doubt. But I think Phil feels like he has. Not gotten enough credit for all that he's done. And I think he doesn't get enough credit. He's an amazing talent. So over the last few years, I just think he's emerged into something a little bit different. Now, trying to throw his voice around and his weight around and, you know, drinking the coffee and losing the weight and getting into shape and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I think it's gotten the best of him. Um, Phil and Tiger attacked press conferences very differently. Tiger looked at press conferences as obligations. Phil looked at them as opportunities. And there's a very different body language and mindset from both of those guys. The problem is is that Phil sometimes can get in his own way. Tiger never allowed himself to get in his own way with the media. And Phil did it. He finally got bit by being too cute, by being too smart, by being the guy that's the smartest guy in the room and coming off that way it just doesn't always work. And um, and I think the older we get, our job is to try to stay relevant somehow. You've got to find a skill. You've got to find something you can give back. You've got to find a way to, to connect and stay connected. And um, I think Phil just got a little bit too cute. And it's burned him real bad. Having said that, guys, I, I know I'm long-winded here, but I'll, I'll wrap it with this. He's always been a good strategist when it comes to his brand and and what he's done now he this backfired on him but mm-hmm. i promise you that him sitting on the sideline whether it's self-induced or induced right at a higher level yeah. Yeah. okay that's up for debate um i guarantee you he's thinking about what his strategy is to come back out and he will have press conferences and he mm-hmm. will say things that will make people go hmm and he'll get people back on his side i firmly believe that
2: yeah i agree i I think uh i mean i've always been a big phil fan he's got a great place in the game and uh seeing it tarnished lately i I feel for it um yeah did he maybe push it a bit too far like when when you have tens of millions of dollars coming in from major brands kpmg workday and callaway uh, you do have to uh, put that filter on uh, don't send that angry email um, mm-hmm. and, and just hold back and I I think he got a little carried away with it and um, but he will be back and uh, I think we'll see him at the Masters in my opinion you uh, maybe are you
1: serious I, <laughs> I think
2: he'll be there you know a press conference beforehand but, um, but you know uh, that's a good take if, that's a good take if Mike. that
1: is if that is his choice then that will be one of the most highly watched anticipated press conferences in quite some time, mm-hmm. a la mea culpa Tiger Woods and a few others that I can think of. Um, we'll see. I mean, he, he, he's, a, he's a green jacket winner. He has every right to be there. Does Augusta National want him there? And by right. the way, when it comes to those sponsors, the minute KPMG says thanks but no thanks, the others have a right at that point. They, they gotta feel like, look, if we stay on, it's almost like we're condoning this. And so mm-hmm. they're gonna catch 22,
2: yeah. you know?
1: For all you know, Workday didn't really feel like they wanted to go that direction, but they almost have to. And yeah. that's just the world that we live in
0: today. Well, I know Craig, we're in a very different situation with, with what happened to Tiger Woods. He was hurting himself, but Nike stayed with him. Seems like Callaway's put everything on the back burner. They're gonna see how everything pans out. But to Mike's point, for the Masters, I mean, uh, the Masters organization is independent of the PGA Tour. They could also control their media very well. They could put out a memo. (laughs) It it will, him having to do certain press on the day or the week of, he may not be part of that. He might just play. Uh, That being said, I don't know how ready he would be. Who knows what state he's in and nobody's really heard from him. So. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes and Mike and I have covered this for the last couple of weeks and had some very different conversations with people. We've protected him because we've watched him as a, grow as a father, as a philanthropist, as somebody who's grown the game, who's done so much for charitable work and, and what upsets me is that the golf media today is so quick to throw him under the bus when he's made a mistake instead of being there for him or just waiting for him to come forward with some information. I know he's he's been a little bit slow, but he came out with that six paragraph statement. I think it covered a lot of the issues. It didn't cover everything. And once he sits down in front of the media and covers it, I think he'll be really well-spoken. He's, and as you mentioned, Craig, he's a guy that people like to listen to. He's a great brand and he articulates very well. So he'll be able to you know expand on everything everybody's asking about um, anyways we're going into a great week the players championship with a ridiculous purse we're looking at 20 million dollars potentially 25 next year and with a great field Scotty Shefford coming off a win at the Arnold Palmer Invitational your thoughts about the tournament this weekend if you had a chance to watch a little bit and uh, going into the players, I'm sure you've covered uh, the players over the years. Your thoughts?
1: Well, first off, um, I, it's it's really nice that the U.S. Open had a pre qualifier, uh, you know, months ahead of the U.S. Open because that's what the Arnold Palmer Invitational became. Uh, that rough was juicy, thick, and and brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the greens were like rocks uh, by Sunday. And it, it was different than some other APIs that I've been to and covered. And I've been to many of them and, and sat up in that Golf Channel uh, set on the stage many a time. Um, it, was, it was very different. You know, a couple of things come to my mind. Number one, Terrell Hatton can play. He's a real battler. Number two, Scotty Scheffler. Um, I probably should reverse the order. Scotty Scheffler was um, my pick to be Rookie of the Year was two years ago three years ago whenever he was a rookie and um he didn't get it but uh man oh man that guy is an enormous talent i love the way he carries himself i love the way he plays i love his body language he's tough he's tough in match play he's a perfect Ryder cup player Uh, he's got ted scott on the bag i mean like he's got everything going for him and the sky's the limit we also find quickly that your place in the top of the world rankings is very you know it's on loan, man. Uh, It's on loan (laughs) and you better, you better work hard. John Rahm's got him nipping at his heels right now. And there are a lot of other players wanting to climb up the ranks too. It's, uh, it's an enormous amount of talent. The other thing that stood out to me, you know, Rory McIlroy made some comments about the golf course and uh, the gut punches that he felt down the the stretch on the weekend. And it's kind of a trend and all that at the API. Um, When the courses seem to get really, really tough, over the weekend, Rory seems to slip back Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't have all the numbers in front of me. I'm not that guy, but I'm just talking about what I witness, what I feel, what I see. And Rory is such an amazing talent. You want to talk about guys that I think are my all time, most respected players in the game that I've ever come. Rory would be in my mm-hmm. top five easily. I love watching him play. I love what he does for the game. What do you shoot? 76, 76 over the weekend, whatever it was. And, um, and he answers all the questions that's just how he is um but but i don't like the the trend and and that's troublesome to me how will it be at the players well if you look at the weather forecast it's um it's not going to be better as the week gets longer it's going to get worse and uh what are temperatures uh, for lows on sunday supposed to be in the upper 30s maybe 40 Mm. degrees and a high of 54 something like that um there's a very good chance of rain for three of the days. Uh, it's gonna be potentially really interesting to see who can weather that storm. So you might wanna take Monday off in advance just because there might be something to watch. I've covered many a player championship, them in March, them in May. Uh, there's a difference. Uh, it always felt better to me in March, but the weather was always dicey in March. It always felt a little bit more interesting in, in March. Um, so, what to expect? Uh, to me, John Rom's the best player in the game, even though Scotty Scheffler's playing the best golf right now. And um, if I was going to list who I thought would be the favorite, I, I would probably list a guy um, like Rom or maybe a Morikawa right now uh, going in. But I love the tournament. I love Pete Dye. I voiced a, a special called The Making of the Players this week that's uh, airing on. Uh, Sirius XM multiple different times. So you'll have to check it out. Uh, One of them being Tuesday night right after my show. So that's eight Eastern, but uh, it's, it's a really fun special. It's about Pete Dye and Dean Beeman and how it all happened and digging into the weeds and the dirt and Alice Dye Mm -hmm. and what she did. I mean, it's an awesome special. I love the tournament. I love the, the, the spectator experience and, and what it takes to finish down the stretch. I mean, we could talk about it forever, but I'm excited to watch
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite tournaments to watch. I mean, I I wish it was a major in some ways, but I don't really care to play around with the, you know, I'm happy with four majors. But, um, you know, it being the largest purse. And uh, you mentioned Pete Dye, who is uh, definitely one of my favorite golf course architects. Uh, I've played a bunch of his courses, and they're a test of golf and punishing, uh, gettable uh you miss a shot and you're gonna pay the price um so uh, i i enjoy watching the players struggle uh this weather pattern coming up is gonna guarantee that so uh, what do you think the winning score might be this week Craig?
1: i mean if it's soft and the conditions are are you know favorable you know you could get up 18 under you know mm-hmm. something like that if it blows like crazy and um, it's the other way, you know. I could see seven, you know. Uh, yeah. You just don't. It's really hard to say. Weather dictates so much at that place. I would, I would not really want to speculate on it. And I'm, and not having been a former tour player, you know, I don't have that experience to be able to throw at you. But, you know, I've seen seen it go two different directions on that. And if it really is windy on Sunday and cold and all of that, you know, you don't know where they're gonna put the pins. You don't know where they're gonna. Uh, move the T's you know all that stuff is subject to change. so uh, I just know this. I know that uh, the ramp up to Augusta is always great. It feels really great this year. Um, we're getting new blood in the game. we're getting new stars in the game. you know um, Hideki playing great golf is mm-hmm. gonna be really fun going up to the to the masters. Um, we could list down the, the top players in the World Golf Rankings, and it's just like tick, 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 one after another. You're like, wow, yeah, they, he could win. Yeah, he could win. Um, okay. I, I always felt, you know, when I was, when I was there from you know, 1995 to 2011, that, that golf was in its greatest place because of Tiger. Now, this, this might seem strange because Tiger's not playing, but I actually believe that the game is in a better place now with Tiger not playing than when Tiger was playing you're thinking that that makes no sense well let let me try this on for size you know when tiger was at his best and he was beating everybody yeah more eyeballs were on it but the brands of other players weren't always as high and when tiger was losing a bit of a little bit of his fastball and these other guys were climbing up you start going wow these guys are really good and the more and more we go the years go by we're seeing just an enormous amount of talent and the fact that they can't stay in the top 10 in the world golf ranking because there's the next guy coming is unreal to me mm-hmm. that's what makes the game so great you don't know week to week and you mentioned the victory in puerto rico a guy on a minor medical with one shot wins by what six yeah and now he's playing at, at the masters playing and you know the players championship i mean these are the great stories that, that, that the game is all about that's why i love it so much
0: It's crazy how week after week, Mike and I end up talking about Tiger Woods. We try not to (laughs) place him on, but how can you not talk about him? His influence in the game ever since he was an amateur going to 1996 and then 97 winning the masters and then his run from 2000 to 2003. And we, he's done so much for the game. The purses have gone up and that being said, uh, I just want to circle back to the scheduling on the Florida swing after Riviera and seeing Tiger in his interview, and then going into the, the Honda, um, the Arnold Palmer, we're going to go to Valspar uh, shortly after the uh, after Sawgrass. Uh, it's a crazy schedule. A lot of these players have to find the best place to go and what fits their schedule. Um, and I'm wondering if, one, the schedule is a little congested with all the big tournaments, uh, and Bay Hill being as difficult as it's played. I know there's been special circumstances this week with, with the greens drying up and, and being really hard and the rough being grown in. And to your point, Craig, about Rory McElroy talking about how the rough is too long and how good shots are not rewarded, I have I saw plenty of great shots where people were sticking at 10 to 20 feet to the pin. So it, it's hard for me to understand that. Um, however, if if the ball's rolling into the... Uh, into the rough and you've you you can not get it out it doesn't allow you to be creative because you just need to chop it out that that to me is a little bit of a problem i'd like to see the players separate themselves a little bit by not having just to punch it or chop it out but to actually show some skill um but getting back to tiger woods tiger yeah, but you,
1: you, oh, just one thing on that you know, if you're going to have guys hitting at 380 yards off the tee, yep. you got to do something. And, you know, bringing, bringing guys back into a, a thing where hitting fairways is critical. What did Scheffler only hit five on Sunday, right? And and still won the mm-hmm. golf tournament. Um, all I'm going to say is is that I, I if you're going to let guys hit it that far, then narrow the fairways. Um, now, you don't have yeah. to grow the rough to eight inches. I'm not suggesting that. But we got to put a premium on ball striking, we got to put a premium on shot making. We got to put a premium on That's fine. You want to hit it that far, then make sure you hit it straight. Right. Because that's what we're trying yeah. to do. Well, these guys, um, well yeah. we have got
0: we've got four to five tournaments that really penalize the golfer for not hitting a straight shot. You know, when I watch golf, I don't care how low the the scores really go. if, if no, it's 25, either. 30, 35 under, I'm fine with that because this is the top tier, 1% of the 1% out there showcasing their game, but I'd love to see the tre- creative shots because if you're in that Gnarly cabbage and, and and rough you can't get it out. You you got to punch it out You can't flop it out. You you're you you can not show your skills. So I think the the biggest Problem we've had in the game. We've always talked about distance, but these guys are getting bigger faster uh, They're more precise. We have all this technology where they could really dial in their numbers. The caddies are are tremendously part of the players game and, and yep. this brings me back to Tiger. I know we could go off on, on that we tangent. We were
1: talking about the schedule. You, you, you yeah. were talking about the schedule and, and the the lead up to the Masters or guys not playing all the events. I think you were about to ask me a question. I just wanna make a 30 second comment on that. Sure. The PGA Tour has has asked for exactly what they've gotten. Now they might not like it that players aren't playing all the time and we're not seeing this player for three weeks or four weeks or they're taking periods off. But when you're gonna have a schedule that's gonna have you know, 48 tournaments or whatever it is on the, on the calendar. Um, these guys make so much money. They don't have to play all the time. Um, you can finish 125th on the money list and have, you know, a $6 million home and a brand new boat slip with three boats <laughs> and, and a lot of other great, you know, toys as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I believe golfers deserve their rightful place in sports. So all I'm saying is, If you want that many events, don't expect everybody to play all the time. And the other part of it is, is that it gives the stories like we got in Puerto Rico a chance to happen more often. And it gives players a chance to build their brand and their brand name. So when they show up in Phoenix and stand on the tee at 16, we know who those guys are. Sam Ryder is actually a name that we might know because he's done something else because he got his opportunity to play in an event uh, where five of the top Six in the world
2: weren't there. Absolutely, no, That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and you know, and you reference narrowing the fairways, and, and this comes back to you know the distance conversation that's out there. But uh, w- how are we going to make eight thousand yard golf courses? No, we can't do that. So if you get creative and uh, shape the shape the course, narrow the fairways, we can uh, let these guys go for it, let them bomb it. But hey, you got to land it in a twenty yard fairway instead of 40 50 yards.
1: Yeah, you wanna know what my favorite golf courses are on the PGA Tour? The same ones that I believe if Tiger Woods comes back that he ought to put first on his list to go play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, I don't think he can play all the longest courses anymore. I think he ought to go give back to the tour a little bit. Who am I to tell Tiger what to do, right, by the way? <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of tournaments gave him an opportunity at the very beginning when he was looking for those and it'd be a real cool time to give back and go play the John Deere um, and go well, play some of the other events that maybe he hasn't played with regularity. Um, I'd like to see Tiger go play Colonial. I'd like to see him go play Hartford. I'd like to see him go play Phoenix, obviously. I'd like to see him, um, you know, Pebble Beach is not a long golf course. Obviously, he would he would probably play there anyway. Um, I'd like to see him play venues that, that are not overly long. And go to Hilton Head, you know, yeah. and hit irons off the tee, Tiger. Hit three woods, hit stingers, do whatever. Give back to the game and play some of those communities that haven't seen you for years, Mm -hmm. because I also think it gives him a better opportunity to win than he would have going up where, you know, with his back and body and all that, that he might not have that opportunity to do. Uh, those are my favorite courses anyway. I've always loved going to colonial. I used to, this tournament doesn't exist anymore, but I used to always ask to go to Milwaukee. I'm a Chicago guy, love cog Hill. They don't have a tournament there anymore. Um, loved going to hartford that's a fantastic yeah. venue uh it really is and there are a bunch like that, that that weren't overly long it's time we get back to that and celebrate those those golf courses as well
2: yeah turn it into a ball striking uh competition and then a long drive and you know driver wedge uh, all right. day it's impressive uh, that just they have this power but uh, that's not really what golf's all about it's you're supposed to use all 14 clubs in your bag uh, you know, according to an architect, but, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but really good point, Craig, with the uh, wraparound season. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, the wraparound season, when I came back to the game, cause uh, I worked in the golf business from uh, early late nineties. Uh, I became a certified golf professional, worked at Royal Montreal golf club, then got into broadcasting, covered, uh, several Canadian opens and the president's cup in 2007. And you know, when I came back a few years back, I was blown away with the wraparound season. I couldn't, I I couldn't figure it out. And the guys need some time off. And I think they're slowly already talking about changing that around. Um, But But it
1: changes every other year when tournaments complain and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Honda was everybody's favorite and they were all going there and now all of a sudden nobody went, you know, Mm -hmm. every year the schedule shifts and they're trying to appease this sponsor and that sponsor and all of that. And I understand, and you got these players that are, you know, wavering on big dollars to go play on other tours and all. Look, if I'm the PGA Tour, I say, look guys, you guys want to go play over there? That's fine. Then don't ask me as as commissioner of the PGA Tour to go to AT&T or, you know, Verizon or pick pick your next sponsor that you want to come up with, Valero, and ask them for an extra $2 million for the purse. Why should they do that if everybody's going to you know think about going elsewhere the bread is buttered really heavy in the united states and more so than ever before well and so absolutely to me when we're talking about obnoxious greed we need to talk about (laughs) some that would be thinking about going to play elsewhere when they can do just fine playing in the united states on a tour that's given them every platform and every opportunity to succeed and many of them have a lot of people to thank that aren't named Tiger Woods for that opportunity.
0: Absolutely, 100%. Mike and I have talked about this the last couple of weeks about the $50,000 bonus the players are getting. Now, it's well-deserved. They're saying, well, why should those players get that? In fact, a lot of these players don't have the sponsorship opportunities as top-tier players do. So that money goes a long way because they're spending upward of that, most definitely traveling, paying for everything they have to pay for as independent contractors. So um, I, I think it's okay for that money to be spread out that way. Uh, the fifty thousand dollars, I think you have to play fifteen events on tour, and that's great. Well, let's get back to Tiger. We're running a little bit short on time, but Tiger, I think he may come back over at for the Masters. But he's definitely, way, but he's not definitely a chance.
1: well, not happening.
0: <laughs> okay, not happening. <laughs> he's he's certainly coming back. He's certainly. Might be coming back for the 150th open over at St. Andrews. Doubtful. Um, well, you've, you've seen him run up and down those stairs at, at Riviera. Right? He's
1: not playing in the Masters. Right. There's no way. All right. All right. Well, and have, you can well, replay the clip when he does and, and throw me not only under the bus, but back it over me. We'll, a have, of times we'll have a little side the but You'll owe me
0: a round of golf next time. Here, here's in what in you're
1: forgetting about, Rafael. Okay. <laughs> You can talk about the walk. I mean, that's one part of it. The undulations of the walk, but you're forgetting about hanging lies and uphill lies and the torque on the leg and the body and the ankle. I mean, it's not like he's going to play, you know, the the flat walk of, you know, St. Andrews or somewhere else. Now you want to try to tell me that he might play at the Open Championship? Maybe. I'm optimistic. Maybe, but I say highly doubtful. And I got a couple of sources guys that i work with on sirius xm that know tiger a little bit better than me and and it's not like they've had a million conversations with him but i think they know him enough to know i don't think he's going to play this year that's just me interesting
2: Hmm. maybe the pnc
1: maybe Maybe. and that and 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 go full go at it and uh, maybe his own tournament you know before that maybe the hero
0: Hey, Craig, we want what? our listeners and our viewers to get to know you a little bit better. We do something called rapid fire questions. We'll ask you so a couple of fun questions to get off of all the hard topics and golf for a moment. And uh, are you ready to go? It's only a four or I five will. questions. That means
1: my answers will be tighter and shorter. So here we go. <laughs> there we go. All right.
0: Your favorite food?
1: Pizza. Easy. And it's Chicago style with the thinner crust. Uh, I know they have the mm. thick crust, but I like the Chicago style where they cut it in squares. Uh, i'm a chicago guy give me sausage pepperoni every time and make mm. it extra crispy
2: yum okay and uh, best and worst interviews uh
1: that i've ever done yes well my favorite interview that i've ever done was was probably sitting with tiger woods at the masters in 1997. i mean that would be uh and that would be one of my all-time thrills the second one would be the first lady laura bush which uh, was after hurricane katrina Mm -hmm. Um, she made a tour there and i was able to sit down with her one-on-one had to do a little checks and balance with the white house beforehand they knew more about me at the end of it than i knew about me and uh, that landed me an opportunity to go to the white house for a holiday reception that year uh, which i never knew you got to do if you sat down the first lady or the president of the united states in a one-on-one interview so um, one of my all-time thrills Uh, worst interview that i've ever done uh, that's really hard i i I've actually never been asked that question, so I've never actually had the answer, but I guess I better think about it. It definitely wouldn't be this podcast. That 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 sounds
0: like uh, you just came out of the White House and gave us a political answer.
1: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: How about your favorite music or anything that you like listening to?
1: Chicago, Boston. Um, I'm an old school guy. I I love Rascal Flatts. I'm so bummed that they they retired. Uh, Cole Swindell was on my podcast. I'm a huge country music fan. Luke Bryan, I'll go there. Um, you know, I actually watched American Idol for a long time. So I kind of kind of fell for Katy Perry a little bit and, and all of her little theatrics. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a country music guy. And if you're going to go way back, uh, 38 Special was a band that I used to like. So there you go.
2: OK, a best round you've ever shot and what course was it at?
1: The best round I've ever shot is not the best score that I've ever shot. I've shot 73 multiple times. I've never shot 72. And anybody that sees me play now knows that they, they have never and will never see that again. My best (laughs) round is a 74 at whistling Straits with a bogey at 18. I had witnesses. I played it from about six. everybody goes, well, how far did you play it? Uh, doesn't matter. The wind was blowing. I made everything that day. I hit it like a champ. Um, and I, I hit, uh, nine iron over the back of the green or eight iron over the back of the green downwind and made an amazing bogey on the last hole. But uh, I shot 74 that day. And the day before I shot 75 at the Glen Club in Chicago, which was uh, a course that they, I think they still have a corn ferry event there. So um, I used to be able to play. I've had two shoulder surgeries. This arm didn't go that high anymore. So that's a big struggle for me with the driver.
0: Understood. Well, I guess our final question is, if you were to make your ultimate foursome with anyone being dead or alive who would it be with and what course would you play at
1: um you know it's an interesting thing um i learned the game on a par three course in chicago um by my hometown and uh if i was to probably have one round left there'd be two courses I'd consider one would be St. Andrews because I had the opportunity to play there and, ha- and didn't take advantage. I flew home to be with my family. You think you're nuts can you do that. I've had a chance to play Augusta. I've played Pebble Beach. I've played some really good golf courses, um, but I, I didn't get to play St. Andrews, but I'd probably play that par three course. And I'd take my grandfather who taught me the game. I'd take my son um, because he's my son. And um, my daughter used to take Uh, golf lessons and was really good and she gave it up for volleyball um I, i might take her but if i could take any one person not name them you know my dad obviously would be in the mix as well for sure but um it would be arnold palmer and it would be a thank you for the opportunity that i got at the golf channel which led me to the lpga as a chief communications officer which you know led me to um, start my company, which led me to, to write this book, Can You Get Our Attention, which has a lot of stories from all of that in there. I mean, like I said, none of this would be would be possible and me traveling the world speaking and talking to groups and doing the things I'm doing um, for corporations, if not for for the king.
2: Amazing. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, why don't you just give us a uh give us a rundown of a can advisory group and what you do with other corporations. And if you work with startups or, uh, uh large established groups, give us uh, the, uh, thousand foot view. Well,
1: people say, well, who are you, Craig? And I, I say, I'm an elevator and they go, what are you talking about? I say, well, I work to elevate people to become better. I work to elevate brands to become bigger. And if you bring me into your event, I'm going to work to elevate your event to become grander. Um, I do workshops, corporate communication leadership workshops for uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, startups, uh, taking no more than 20 people, putting them in a room for eight hours and helping them learn the story of their organization and becoming not an employee of the organization, but an ambassador of the organization, learning to stand out when they stand up learning to share their story and understand how to connect with audiences and deliver in front of people. Number one fear among all people is public speaking. Number two is death. Yeah. I teach people the skills to succeed and actually die for the opportunity to speak because a lot of people don't want that. Um, mm-hmm. I do keynotes. Uh, my current one that I'm doing is One one Company, One Voice, Can You Get Our Attention?, which is, which is tied to the book. And the other thing, too, that I do, which, you know, you can probably see one behind me, but I I got a brand new box right here, guys, Converse All-Stars. And you're saying, wait a second, what the heck is he doing? But if you go to my website at canadvisory.com, you'll learn about the green shoe. And it's a big thing that I talk about is how do we stand out, you know, and everybody's got that inner genius, that unique skill set. But we've got to find a way to get noticed. we got to find a way to get people's attention. So this book that came out in 2021 that, became an Amazon bestseller, is all about finding a way to get noticed, not waiting for people to take notice. How do you share your story? How do you build your brand? How do you strategically deliver a message and communicate with people? Because ultimately that's what leadership is all about. And I love working with companies and groups and uh, organizations to take people and do it. I was just in Myrtle Beach. I've got San Diego coming up. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, not long ago. It's my passion now. I love Very doing cool. it. and. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope people check out the website, canadvisory.com, or they can email me at uh, info at canadvisory.com.
2: That's excellent. Yeah, we'll make sure to tag it and, and share it for you. And uh, maybe I'll talk to you aside from this, because I do have a tech startup that uh, we've been working on the last uh, year or so. Um, but maybe I'll send you some information. I'd love to hear your opinion.
1: Well, I appreciate it. You know, the, the thing about it is a lot of people wouldn't normally sign up for a class like that, but it's really mm-hmm. about communication, presentation, branding and mm-hmm. bonding. And I take groups and give them it's a confidence, you know, to to be able to go it's like a, it's like you're coaching a basketball team. You're not going to you're not going to work upward from people's weaknesses. You're going to figure out what people's strengths are and that's what I love doing and build mm-hmm. from that because most people are fearful and nervous and anxious of, of being in front of anybody. But when they learn the simple concepts of how to deliver a message and how to create their own talk, if you will, um, it's very different. So uh, whether it's one-on-one work that I get to do with executives or or people uh, to build their brand or it's groups, man, it's it's what I do. I'm busier than ever and I love every bit of it.
0: Well, well I
2: see that you're passionate about it and you love it. So yeah, best of luck with that, Craig. Thanks, buddy. Well,
0: we're, so, we're so thrilled that you were on today and, and you got to share all these wonderful stories with us. You know, we learned so much from having our guests on and you've been a really special guest. We love to end stuff off by having our guests tell us about a funny or embarrassing golf story. It could be with a notable person. It could be in broadcasting and in golf. Um, is Does anything come to mind when I say embarrassing golf story?
1: Well, I will tell you this video is actually circulated. So when I was in Fort Myers years ago, I was a videographer long before I was a reporter and I was shooting video at the um, at the Pro-Am of, uh, of the PGA Tour Champions event. And this lady, um, you, you got to look up the video, just to, you should be able to find it. It made like America's funniest videos and all that stuff, but I was the shooter. And uh, this lady is on the tee and, the, and you know, People are lined down the tee box tight. I'm going to start with the end. That's what I always do when I coach people to speak. Start with the end in mind. What do you want people to say, do, or whatever about what you're going to say? Okay. The end is, is that everybody was okay. All right, that's the end. Now the story is, is that she off the tee, absolutely snaps one, you know, about 30 yards forward and hits a woman who's sitting in a chair and she screams and knocks her over without barely looking tees up another ball and where do you think the second one goes
2: carbon coffee.
1: exactly at the same lady <laughs> and hits her again and they're calling for medics and it is one of the most unbelievable scenes i've ever seen now Embarrassing, sad, crazy, whatever. Yeah. Um, I was a part of it. <laughs> I, I did forget to put a microphone on once. I've had that happen to me before. Um, but you know, embarrassing moments. Haven't had that many on the air, thankfully. Uh, had a lot of laughs with a lot of people, I'm very grateful. And um, you know, we didn't even really talk that much about the LPGA, but, but I, I do want to say that that five years and, and ultimately being a part of the communication committee for the Olympics in 2016 was one of my greatest thrills. And I will tell you, I got about nine injections in my arm to make sure I didn't get the Zika virus before I flew to Rio de Janeiro. And I never saw one mosquito the whole time I was there. So (laughs) I I have no idea. Amazing.
0: Great. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Hopefully we'll maybe get a round in or get you on the show once again. And uh, for Craig Can, Michael Bleakley, I'm Raphael Calmat. You've been watching and listening to The Golf Podcast Live. Have a great week. We'll same time next week. Take care.